Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship. As we gather this morning on this sacred, almost spring morning, we do so with an awareness that God is at work in the world. We also do so with an awareness that there are many, many things that are happening out there in the world that are taking an anxious neighborhood and making it even more anxious. We believe that the church is an extension of the hands of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? We've been talking a lot about hands this week in the news feeds, have we not? What does it mean to be the hands of Christ in a world that is full of anxiety and fear? As we gather this morning, we do so with brothers and sisters from all over the world, many of them in different time zones that have already worshipped, and others that have, have yet to gather together. But many of us will gather on this Sabbath day in every corner of the world, and we will ask ourselves the same question that we ask every week. First, what is it that God did in this last week, and how is it we can acknowledge it in, in our time of worship together? Secondly, what is it that God is calling us to do in the world being an extension of the hands of Christ? This morning, as we now are in our second week of the Lenten season, we're going to be asking that question, and we're going to continue to ask the question as we move deeper and deeper into the season. One brief word, because it feels appropriate to do so. We are going to do the best that we can to model for the world around us what it looks like to stay calm and do the right thing. We're going to prioritize compassion and care for the most vulnerable among us. We're going to do the best we can to not feed into hype. And at the same time, we're going to do the best we can to encourage responsibility. Whereas there are many of us in this space that are gathering today, or many that are watching the live stream that don't feel much anxiety as it relates to the coronavirus, there are others that are on high alert. And for, and for, for some of those folks, it's because they already live with a lot of anxiety, and for others, it's because physically they are in a vulnerable place already. We're going to live in that tension of acknowledging that it's important that this is a safe place for anybody that feels vulnerable. And so we're going to do the best we can to do the things all the medical people are telling us to do so that we can take care of the vulnerable among us. And we're going to emphasize over and over as a church the importance of remaining connected. Pray that Jesus will show you a way to be the hands of Jesus when everybody's worried about what's on your hands. Right? Does that make sense? There are a couple of things that we'll be doing differently in worship over these next two or three weeks while we get our ducks in a row and figure out a, a good response, and so just bear with us in that. But just join us as we pray for the world around us, particularly the helpers, and particularly those that are actually suffering through it. Now, moving on to the true reason that we're here, which is our worship of God. We're a, uh, Preston, I'm gonna, about to wander. Am I on my wireless here, buddy? Great. So, we are in a season that we're focusing on pruning. Nothing says church like pruning, right? Last week, what we talked about is that for all of us, there are things in our lives that make it difficult for us to be the people we were created to be. One of the things that we focused on heavily last week is that every one of us that was born into this world was born as a child of God, made whole. And the goal that Jesus has given all of us is to follow and eventually go back to the garden, all of us, from whence we came, right? Back to the place that it all began. And so, whereas in past, in the Lenten season, an emphasis on sin may have really been a message the church was sending is you should be ashamed of yourself and who you are. We, are. we are acknowledging it is something radically different. It is that sin exists in your life and it needs to be pruned because it's making it difficult for you to be the person you were created to be. And it's not based in shame and it's not based in um, us feeling like we are wholly other and better than everybody else but actually the opposite. We're all in this together, struggling together. And whereas God could take the pruners and just say, I'm going to get you. 
And that's the end of it. We don't believe in a God that works that way. We believe in a God that says, I am working with you to do this. So yes, pruning is necessary in order for us to thrive and ultimately bear the fruit that Jesus calls us to bear through our faithfulness. And God is going to do some of that pruning. But always God is going to do that pruning with us doing the work beside God, with God. And isn't it amazing what God can create out of something that seems so difficult and complex and even at times ugly? We have created a visual representation of this here with the screen in front of you. In a moment, we have a group of individuals that are shadow players, a group of people that are going to put on a shadow vignette. And I'm going to ask that you use this moment as a prayerful exercise to pray that God would find a way to work with you in pruning the things from your life that are making it difficult for you to to blossom and bloom and thrive. And so Dylan is going to act as the hand of God, and she will reach into the tree and she will prune. And she will hand what she has pruned as the hand of God down to Chase and to Jim, and they will co-labor with God in that pruning. Use this moment to reflect and pray and consider the good work that we have ahead in our own personal relationships with Christ and also, also communally as God does this work with all of us together as church. Welcome to worship. Welcome live streamers to worship. We're thrilled you're here. Together you beneath 
my gentle by God. There are circles and cycles of life, turning, moving, all about us. We are not separate from them. We cannot somehow stand apart from them. We move steadily along through birth, growth, decline, death, as surely as the flowers germinate, bloom, and die, and stars coalesce into light, burn, dim, and collapse. We are not separate from nature about us. We are part of it. Our bodies hold the same minerals as the granite cliffs. The, hemo the hemoglobin in our blood is only one atom different than the chlorophyll in plants. And the processes that flow through nature flow through us. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Planting, germinating, watering, growing, blooming bearing fruit, returning to the soil. And the ground of all these cycles, the source and end, the initiating force and impetus is God. Will you please stand as we lift our voices and sing hymn 442. As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to turn to the back of your bulletins for our, to look over our prayer requests. And we have a few additions to make. We lift up Jay Hartman's brother, Jim, who was hospitalized early this morning and in the CCU battling a blood disease. We know Jay is joining us via live stream uh, Jay, we just want you to know that we're thinking about you, we love you, and we're praying for you and your brother right at this moment. Also, we lift up Charlotte Attic, uh, Amanda Pohl's aunt, who is uh, receiving chemotherapy treatments. We pray for Sahemu and her family, who has returned from her mother's burial. And also, remember our soon-to-be-formed youth minister search team as they begin the process of searching for a youth minister. 
Let us pray together. Dear God, as we continue in this Lenten season, making our way through the wilderness, meet us where we are. In our loss, let us be found in you. In our brokenness, broken relationships, broken bodies, broken health, broken lives. Repair us, O Lord. We suffer with all of your people. Help us, O God, to find strength in you, to be moved in ways to act, to be an answer to the prayers that we make. Help us to mend each other's lives. Help us, O God, to bring comfort to those who suffer. Help us to restore each other in you and help us to be found in you. And now, O oh God, we lift up our voices with all of your saints throughout time and around the world as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our gospel lesson this morning is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. You can find it on page 787 in your pew Bible. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about closing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The word of God for the people of God. Speak to God. Children, you're doing a good job going to the back instead of the front. Well done. Anybody here a fan of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? I love that show. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's, it's, a, it's a game show of sorts on the radio where they take the events that have happened in the news in the last week and take comedians along with everyday people and find creative ways to tell those stories. Yesterday, there was one that popped up that has stuck with me because it's one that I can resonate with all too much. 
Her name is Leanne Nicole Evans. Um, no spoilers if you heard this with me. I'm about to spoil it for everybody. Uh, she, she gets really excited because it's Spirit Week at the kids' school. And I think this is in Australia. Uh, and so she spends an entire Sunday evening getting the kids ready for crayon day the next day. Every child was to show up as a different color of crayon, and so she had worked really hard on these costumes. They got the kids up early the next morning. This was like two weeks ago. Uh, the, the boy, uh, who I think was like seven or eight years old, had red face paint all over his face in a perfect circle, and they had a pointy head or hat on the head that, that looked like the tip of a brand new red crayon. And then his little sister, who was about three years, four years younger, four or five years old, um, is dressed up as, I believe, a purple crayon, and it's the same story. And they just looked perfect, just so. And the kids go to school the next morning. Grandma's the one that picked them up and took them to school. And it was like four or five hours into the school day that the phone call came that it in fact was not crayon day, that was next month. And these children were the only two that showed up and were desperately, desperately trying to get home to let their mother know what they thought about the predicament she had put them in. Can you imagine? Probably so. Now, behind all of that is a parent's desire to help their children have the fullest experience possible. But true to the season at hand, behind it also is wanting to present the children in a way that they fit. It's a control thing if we aren't careful. Only you know where the line is for you, where something where the motive may have started out right shifts, and suddenly you find yourself doing what appears to be the right thing, but in fact, for the wrong reason. You ever found yourself in that position? You know, we talked about that with our table theme in Epiphany about getting the house perfect before company comes over and you kind of missing the whole point of hospitality in that process, or that I missed that whole point of hospitality in the process. When the staff first talked about this season uh, with the central theme being one of pruning, we knew that we wanted to focus on sins, and my vote was to pick the best sins ever and just let y'all have it. But I got outvoted. Each week, rather than patronizing you all, and going through the things that you expect to hear a Baptist preacher say when the sin list is shared, we have chosen a series of things that need to be pruned from all of our lives that are, in essence, a reality in all of our lives. And today, it's about control. How long is it going to take us to come to the realization that we aren't in control of all of this? We like to pretend that we are. And for some of us, the reason that we move toward that is because we were born with this sense that everything needs to be perfect. And you know who you are. I know who you are, at least some of you, because I'm living life with you. And you're living life with me. Some of us desperately need control in our lives or perceived control because everything in our lives is completely out of control. And so what we can't control, we don't control, so we try to micromanage and control everything else. You know who you are? I'll bet you do. And if you don't, just ask your next-door neighbor sitting in the pew close to you. I'll bet they could tell you. This exists in a lot of our lives. Then there's the individual that has this desperate need for control because they don't know any other way. We were born in religious traditions, born into the church, and we know all the right words to say, and all, you know, this passage that Bill and Brenda just read out loud is one of our favorite passages when it comes to God taking care of us, and we say all the right things, and we've taught all the right things, but then the reality is we've never really learned to let go of control and actually do what it is that we say is at the essence of our faith. 
Part of this pruning metaphor that we're working on in this season is this notion that God is in fact the source of life. God is the one that gave us everything that we have. The essence of life came from the essence of life, God, the primordial being. And in turn, we acknowledge that if we're going to be the people that we're called to be, we must remain connected to that source of life. And so we just simply say, God, I trust you. God, I have faith in you. God, you are the source of everything that I have. And then what do we proceed to do? Cut ourselves off from the vine in not finding a way to let go and let God. It's real. Now, there's one other category that I haven't mentioned out loud, which is the one that I, I struggle with all these, but this one in particular and it's the, it's, I'll give you a story first, and, and then I'll get to it. Wade, son, oldest son, turns 18 in three weeks. And yeah, everybody's like, whoa, yeah. Wade, do, do, you don't remember, you were too little, but we've told you that the moment that I found out Laura was pregnant with you, your mama, by the way, her name's Laura, Something came over me that shocked me, and it was this, fear. I can't explain it, but the moment that I learned that you were coming into the world, Wade, I suddenly found myself afraid in a way that I never had been before. And uh, I'm never going to show you this video or let you even listen to it. We have a video of Wade's birth. You can watch it if you want to Wade, but I wouldn't if I was you. <laughs> I'm the, Laura's busy, I'm the camera holder. The moment that I, you know, that he's put there to the side, you know, where they, under the light and they're doing all the things they need to do, I'm recording and introducing the world to Wade. My voice cracks multiple times because this fear that had set in for months and months had hold of me. And I'm sure that my voice cracking was a voice of gratitude and just sheer exuberation, but some of it was the worry magnified. Some of us need to pretend that we're in control because we're just afraid. I don't know where you fall on that continuum. My guess is it's more than one of them. But I'm also suggesting today there's not a one of us that doesn't understand that we have control issues. How do we prune this particular sin in our lives? Now, if you think you're going to walk out of here with five points that tell you exactly how to do it, you're going to be deeply disappointed. Because it's something that we're going to struggle with through our entire lives. Jesus says, do not fear more than any other phrase in all of Scripture, all the Gospels. Be not afraid, peace be with you. He always marries those two things together. He says it constantly because he knows that we are fearful. Excuse me. It's green tea, not coffee, I promise. So he knows that we're afraid. My guess is he knows that because he himself understands what fear is. What must it be like to be the creator of the cosmos, the very one, the primordial being that brought all of this into the equation, all of it, the great source of life, to create something that is so precious to God that God is willing to send Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live among us in helpless form as babe. You want to talk about fear? Can you imagine what that must be like to be the creator of the cosmos saying, here, I trust you, and to hand Jesus to us? How did Jesus feel knowing that he was on his way to be crucified on a cross where he would be tortured and humiliated to death in front of the world? Do we think that he just didn't feel fear moving to that moment? I have to believe that he did, and he felt it every single day. And can you imagine what God must 
have felt like, knowing that each moment was a moment moving closer and closer to it. God understands our fear. God understands what it means to relinquish control. There are no robots in this room. We don't believe in a God that says, I've planned your life exactly out. I know exactly what you're going to do this moment, this moment, and this moment. You know how I know? Because I wrote the script. And whether you like it or not, you don't get to waver from it. You don't get to wander away from my script. I just don't believe in a God that does that. I believe in a God that says, I could take control of this, but I choose instead to love you freely. And that means I have no choice but to give you freedom, which means in turn, I must relinquish control. We worship a God that understands fear, and we worship a God that understands the role of control, and we worship and follow a Savior that is living into the complexity of it and calling us in turn to follow as he leads the way through. He stands on the mount, whatever that means, a mountain. We're in the Gospel of Matthew today. Sermon on the Mount, it would suggest that there's a parallel with the Moses story. Moses climbs up the mountain to Sinai, receives the law, and imparts it. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus climbs a mountain, takes the law, and rather than abolishing it, fulfills it by saying, this is what I really mean. Jesus climbs a mountain. And as he climbs the mountain, he looks out over the masses that have gathered around him. We don't know if the Sermon on the Mount is, in fact, the Sermon on the Mount or sermons on the Mount. We just don't know. What we do know is that in that critical three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, we get the essence of what God has been trying to tell us all along. And right in the heart of it, here we are today, God saying, don't worry. Right in the middle of it, you have essentially God saying, relinquish your perception of control. Look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Look at them in their splendor. If God's doing that, can you imagine what God's doing in your life? Jesus is effectively looking at us saying, I am with you. Does that sound familiar? The beginnings of the Gospel of Matthew, the angel says, after poor uh, Mary and Joseph each just about have accidents in the fear that they're experiencing with the divine visit, what does Jesus say? You will call him, or what does God say? You will call him Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus is effectively saying in the Gospel of Matthew over and over again, remember, I am with you. Matter of fact, the last verse of the entire Gospel is, and lo, I am with you always. Jesus is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, some of the Christians in the world, ourselves included at different points of the way, have taken the passage of Scripture that's been shared today, and we've taken it and turned it into the prosperity gospel. What Jesus is really saying here is if you're faithful and remain connected, that you're, you can expect abundance and richness. This is how many, many televangelists have gotten their first, second, and third jets by quoting this passage of Scripture. There are others that have taken it and used it as an opportunity to move toward cartoon land where everything is single-dimensional, where somebody comes into the pastor's study and pours their heart out, and they know what the pastor says? Don't worry. And then you walk away feeling comforted? Not a chance. You walk away feeling what? Even worse than when you walked in. If I ever look at you in a crisis and tell you, don't worry, and then stop there, I have failed you miserably. But guess what? We're a priesthood of all believers. Anybody ever does that to you and you say that? You, you got some pruning that's coming. I guarantee it. This is a complex passage of Scripture because it speaks to the complexity of what it means to live in a world that is spinning out of control seemingly all the time. I said in the introduction earlier, isn't it interesting? How do we be the hands of Jesus when everybody is fearful of what's on our hands right now? Right? Well, that's no different than three weeks ago when the flu was floating around and it never even occurred to us that it would be here, or three months ago, let's say. 
Every generation has its version of anxiety-producing things where the world just seems like it's going to hell in a handbasket. That's true of the crowd that Jesus has gathered with on the mountain. He's looking at peasants. He's looking at people that may very well not know where the next meal is coming from. He's looking at a group of people that still haven't haven't grasped yet, because it's early on in the gospel story, that when he says, follow me, what he really means is, follow me to crucifixion. He will say, not long after this, pick up your cross and follow. And so as he looks out over the crowd, he, he knows that hardship is coming. He knows that life is coming. He knows that a diagnosis is inevitable. He knows that a broken relationship is on the way. Not because he's the puppet master moving everything around, but because he knows this is the nature of the world that we live in. There is moral chaos in the world. There is chaos. But he also knows this, that from the very beginnings of time, God reaches into the chaos, into that turbulent water and brings order of it and establishes a garden in it. And it is his intention to stay with us, to be with us. I am with you and to always be with us. And lo, I am with you always to get us back out of the chaos, back to the garden where we belong. What would it look like if we relinquished our perception that we are in control and actually follow through with what we profess to believe in, which is that no matter what is coming my way, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, Jesus is with me. And in turn, to assume that if we will remain connected to that reality, to that vine, that ultimately fruit will be born. And what will that fruit look like? Jesus being with us always through each other. The fruit that is born comes from our remaining connected to Jesus. That's what it means to love God. But in turn, the natural extension, the natural outpouring that blooms out of that is fruit. And that's where the whole love neighbor thing comes in. But it can't happen if we don't trust that Jesus is with us. We have failed the world around us in sending the message that if you follow Jesus, it means life is going to get easier. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is something radically different than that. It's that if we learn to trust God through the gift that is God's Son, we will find ourselves living abundantly and living into the fullness of life, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, all at the same time in ways that we never thought that we could. I have a good friend. I'm going to call her Rachel. I'm going to change her name. She's struggled with raising her children because her children have uh, struggled with control issues in their own lives. One of them actually to the point that Uh, this daughter of hers is just spinning out of control and they don't know what to do. Sending child away multiple times to kind of get a handle on life and try to figure it out. Rachel talks about feeling like an utter failure because she can't control her children, her daughters. And she has struggled with perfection issues her whole life and so to have a child that acts this way is something that she doesn't know what to do with which means total isolation comes through this struggle for I can't control this person. I'm not going to ask for a hand raise, but my guess is there are a handful of people in this room that can relate to my friend Rachel. Rachel talks about going on a family vacation, something that doesn't happen very often because whenever they travel, there's a scene, and so they choose to go to the ocean, to the beach, where they can just be alone. So whereas other people may judge, the sand and the water won't. Day one is there, mama is in control, daughters go out, play in the edge of the water, up to the ankle, up to the knees, up to the waist, whoa, whoa, that's far enough, draws children back in. It's like they're on, you know, a rod, and there's fishing line and a hook, right? 
By the time they get to day four, she's finding that she's a little bit more relaxed, so she decides she's going to give herself permission rather than constantly staring at the horizon. She's going to actually read a book on the beach and every page turn and look up. She's sitting there reading page, dutifully turning, being sure she's got control over things, but somewhere between this page and the next page, the girls found themselves or willingly chose to go deep. She doesn't know how it happened so quickly. Best guess is it was some kind of undercurrent, and suddenly, from the flipping of one page to the other, she sees these two girls being swept out into the deep, and she totally panics. She had had control over the situation, but suddenly chaos enters the scene. And what happens in said chaos? What anybody would do. The book is thrown into the sand, and immediately she goes charging for her daughters in the water. And she gets just deep enough to the point that she's up to her chin when she realizes, even if I take one more step, there is no way I'm going to be able to get to my girls. No way. She says, I stepped out of the water and put my, put my feet on sand and looked there mortified as I watched this chaos spinning out of control. There, the, those that I love more dearly than anybody in the world are now in a situation where I am not only not in control, but the opposite of anything that looks like control. I am helpless. I am vulnerable because they are vulnerable and there's nothing I can do about it. And she says it is that moment that she looked up to the heavens and just said one word to God, help, help me, God. And she says, even as I looked at the horizon after that prayer was offered, I could, I could sense that they were going to have to figure this out because there's nothing I could do, but there is something that washed over me that felt like something I'd never experienced before, peace. Peace beyond understanding. She says, I felt water washing over me as I stood on dry land, and it felt like love. And she says, I don't know what happened. I know that my girls did what they were taught to do and just went with the stream and before you know it, ended up back on the beach just a little bit further down and walked up and actually wanted to go and ride the ride again. They loved it. But she said, for me, there's something inside of me that broke open and I've never been the same since because I found a peace that I never knew was there. But I had to relinquish my control before I could find what had been hidden inside of me all along. That conversation happened because I looked at her a year after I noticed the last time there was something different about her and I wanted to know what it was, but she hadn't shared it. And for years now, she's walked around with that crazy peace that makes no sense in the chaos that her life has continued to be. Do you hear me? God didn't say, well, she's had enough of that. I'm just going to make the path easy and clear all the way through. Uh-uh. That's not the way free will works. Life happens. We aren't in charge of what happens. Do we have a responsibility for what happens? Absolutely. That's another sin. We'll get into that later. But today it's about control. When Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry, he isn't saying, don't worry, be happy and start whistling. He's saying to us, I've got this. I'm walking with you through it, and abundance is part of it. There's no prosperity gospel built into it. As much as I wish that there was, there ain't. It's not to suggest that hard things aren't going to come, because they will, because that's the nature of the chaos of the world that we live in. 
This room is full of people that understand that. But hear the promise. The very source of life that brought you into the world brought you into the world beautiful and whole. And if you will accept that and live into it, you will find that the further you move along and the more that you grow, the more fruit will naturally be born. That the love of God that you acknowledge in remaining close to the source will ultimately spill out into the world in, in a way that it looks like love of neighbor. And whereas there are lots of things that you want to cling to and control, and there are lots of bank accounts that you want to fill money up with, and all these things that provide you with a false sense of security, the reality is in God's economy, things aren't dealt with in dollars and nickels and dimes and apps that you hold on your smartphones. But rather, God's economy is one that is an economy built on a foundation of love that is meant for love. And that is the type of thing that you can't possibly find yourself spending enough of, even if you tried. But it must begin with the relinquishment of our false perception of control. So I'm going to assume that from this day forward, you're never going to have another control issue in your life. <laughs> or me either. I wrote this sermon a couple days ago. I'm so glad I no longer have control issues. Huh. I guess what that means is I'm going to have to wake up tomorrow and remind myself of the source of life and do the difficult work in the day ahead of pruning the things that make me forget it or make it impossible for me to relinquish so that I can be the person I'm called to be. A poem by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at least the sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and I lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and I am free. Amen. has flowers growing in their yard like I do right now. False spring. As we were hearing the scripture this morning, I was picturing those flowers. And I want to invite you to do the same thing. To picture those beautiful, delicate 
flowers that have popped up through the ground that neither sow nor reap, yet God clothes them in beauty. Yet God creates them so they lean toward the sun. That is a God we can trust, even when things don't turn out as we plan. We're going to stand in a minute and sing our song of invitation, and this is the moment in the service when we are invited to respond to what the Spirit is stirring in us to that thing that popped in our mind when Sterling said, what do you need to relinquish control of? To hand over something to God or to receive from God the same love and warmth that comes to those flowers through the form of the sun. Would you stand and sing with us hymn number 436? Thank you, Jim. As Jennifer comes to lead us in prayer before we enter this moment of offering, we enter now into one of those moments I alluded to earlier in the service. I don't think this will be a permanent thing by any means. I'm certain it won't be, but it feels wise because some of us in the room have some compromised immune systems to, that we're not going to pass an offering plate this morning, which is maybe the first time in the church's history that it hasn't happened. Mark the moment. It, we will do it again, I promise. But it just, until we can make a plan, it feels like the wise thing to do. And so we're going to ask you to do, as you always do, is when Ryan plays here in a moment, that you would take this moment to prepare your offering. Get out your checkbook and write a check. Better yet, open the app on your phone and give through the app as Ryan plays. Um, but you need to know that in the back of the sanctuary, there are two donation boxes. We'll have a couple of deacons standing by those boxes at the end of the service. And you can place your offering in that box if you choose not to use the app here in this moment ahead. We're going to sing the doxology just the same like we mean it. Because what is the doxology? It's the moment that we say, thank you, God, and we're giving you our best, God. And so take this moment after Jennifer prays, give generously, tithe generously, and continue to lift each other up in the season ahead. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come to this time of giving out of obedience, but we are motivated by gratitude. God, I am grateful that this is a safe place for the vulnerable. I pray now that we would sense a vulnerability as we relinquish control of these tithes and offerings, that as we give, we trust you completely to provide what we need as individuals and also as this family of faith. I pray that our acts and our intentions in giving at this time will be just one of many steps we take in pruning away anything that is keeping us from growing into what you want us to be. We thank you, O oh God, our source of life. Amen.
Thank you for being with us this morning. If this is your first time here or your fifth time here and we don't know anything about you, we would love to know more about who you are and how you found your way here and how we can be church with you in the future. There are some little info cards in the outsides of the pews that you can take and fill out and give to one of the deacons in the back who are receiving the offering. Um, we would encourage folks to linger and just maybe not shake hands. Maybe do a little elbow bump. Um, <laughs> no, Judy says no bumps because you cough into your elbow. Maybe just make good eye contact, you know, <laughs> something we can all work on that does not spread germs. Um, but we hope you will hang around, um, enjoy one another, enjoy being in this space. I walked in this morning, I wasn't with, I wasn't here last week and saw the trees and it just reminded me of the amazing um, sort of connection between being in the outdoors and connecting to God and then all of a sudden bringing that sense into this space. Um, so linger and connect with one another. Uh, we hope you will plan to be with us this coming Saturday for Second Saturday. Uh, community ministry has a lot going on this week, and all those details are in the side of the bulletin as well as April's email address if you would like to be involved in any way she can get you connected. And finally, we want to say a word to Waysana. And can I get you to come down here, Waysana? <laughs> This girl graduated from high school in June and has been on the move since then, but she is finally getting to do the thing that she has waited for the whole year to do. Wesna will leave on the 25th of March for um, training in the National Guard, right? And she has wanted to do that for a long, long, long time and has been waiting this year since she graduated from high school for an opportunity to get to go. So this is her last Sunday that she was gonna be with us because she's still on the go a little bit. <laughs> so Wesson, I have bread for you to eat between now and then. And if I won't, we won't lay hands on anyone, but if you will join me in raising your hand and saying to Wesson, I, we will be praying for you as you go through this new experience because it will be different from traveling. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Wes and I know that you will be surrounded by all of these people praying for you as you leave. Thank you. Would you open up your hands and receive this word of benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God give you the grace not to sell yourself short, the grace to risk something some, for something good, the grace to remember that this world is too small for anything but love and anything but truth. Go in the grace and peace of God. Amen.